The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami. Tim Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. Very, very glad to have on as my guest. Uh, Many time guest, uh, which we really appreciate, always like the conversation. It's the Giants president, Farhan Zaidi. Farhan, how are you doing today? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, good, to, good to have you on. Now, there's a little different circumstances than we've had you on in the past. Uh, as, you know, every season's different than the one before it. This one's vastly different than the one before it or even the, the off-season expectations. Farhan, uh, I guess I'll just say I'm the one who's written like you got, uh, it feels like you guys are a little stuck this season. I don't know if you would appreciate or agree with that word, but however you want to phrase that. You're 61 is 62, I believe. Currently, this is recording this on a Monday, kind of hovering around 500. You know, some things have worked, many things haven't seemed to work out. Uh, I know you're still in the wild card race, but how would you characterize kind of the feeling of the season right now? Yeah, I, I think it's fair to characterize it as frustrating, as disappointing. And I speak for everybody. That's not sort of meant to point fingers one way or another. I think I'm describing you know, the feeling in totality, whether you're a front office member or a fan or a player, I think everybody feels that way because of the success that we had last season and the confidence we had coming into this year and the way we started this year. I mean, we came out of the gate 13 and five and we hovered around 10 games over 500 first couple months of the season. And you just kind of felt like even at that point, there was another year to take a step forward and and instead you know we went through a really rough stretch and to your point we've been hovering around 500 and, and candidly are are running out of time now to you know really reassert ourselves in the race so you know the silver lining is we still got 41 games left and uh, it's a quarter of the season and our rotation is healthy and you know we're as healthy as we've been all year so there are going to be no excuses on that front we just have to really pick it up here and, and play really well down the stretch to have any kind of shot. Yeah, last time I saw you was the day of the trade deadline and, and there weren't a lot of moves. And, and I understood that. I, I think I understood the calibration there. Let me, the way I saw it was you were willing to, to maybe make a few sell moves if it was for the right move. You were looking at buy moves if they were the right move and, and nothing huge really came about. You know, people say, well, what were they doing? And maybe it was the value wasn't there. Am, am I... You know, and maybe you could have done some things that would have risked you at other places. Is that a correct kind of summation of where you were? Was was that a little frustrating too, not to be able to go either way on this? Yeah, I, I think at the end of of the, of the day, we were satisfied with how it went because we were able to add some young talent, some guys that have gone out and have been playing well without, um, you know, feeling like we completely undermined, um, you know, the the structure of our current team. Now, to your point, you know, should there have been some big sell-off? Should there have been, you know, headline acquisitions? Uh, those are always tough to navigate at the trade deadline. And, you know, we were kind of in this position where we're four games out. You know, we view ourselves as a playoff team. Um, but one of the things we talked about on that day, and it's still true, is uh, on the day of the deadline, we had four position players who were going to be back within a week. And uh, we felt that those additions were going to make it hard to add any more bodies. Really, the one trade that we made that changed our position player group was trading 
Darren Ruff to the New York Mets uh, and, and getting J.D. Davis back. That was more of a swap. Um, we had a healthy rotation. And again, our we have had a very consistent bullpen group over the last two years. That's obviously been a story because they have struggled this year, particularly as of late. They had the best ERA in the league last year. And so we valued that continuity. So we added a couple of pieces. Um, but again, I, our, our belief was for us to get back in it, it's going to have to be the guys that played so well for us last year. And that's kind of the calculus that we had at the trade deadline. And I think you described it right. We were open to something that represented good value, but, but didn't find it. And we're very satisfied to keep the core of the team together. Dude, what happened last season? The 107 wins, we know, incredible, incredible franchise record regular season. Uh, pretty dramatic playoff series against the Dodgers. Did, did the circumstances of that season, the success, change the way you approached this season for on? Maybe, you know, and maybe would you recalibrate that now? I'm, you know, the obvious thing is what I'm saying yeah. is, did you count on your veteran players too much because of what you saw last season? Yeah, you know, as, as, you know, I came on at the end of 2018 and we, I, and I think us collectively as an organization, as a, as a front office, always viewed this past off season and this coming off season as two, you know, big transition off seasons for us because we were going to have a lot of veteran contracts that were uh, going to be expiring and we're going to be facing decisions about whether to move on or, or re-up a lot of those players. And when you win 107 games, um, you're going to lean in the direction of continuity. So, um, you know, as we do our own postmorteming and think back to the offseason, um, you know, uh, you're always going to armchair quarterback, even yourself. But uh, I, we, we had a really good team that we really liked. And even though we had an older group, we thought it made sense to uh, bring the core of that team back and, uh, you know, under, you know, terms that we thought made sense. We obviously kept to shorter term deals, but, um, you know, it's easy to sit here now and say, you know, we've had some injuries and uh, we've had some regression and, and we've talked about that term regression on a couple of our last calls and uh, have certainly seen a lot of that. But, uh, you know, when you have that kind of season, you're, you're going to want to, uh, bring that group back and, and give them another shot. And, um, you know, again, I, we still have 40 plus games left uh, to, to make a run here. And again, we're as healthy as, as we've ever been. So I still sort of feel like we have the ability to write our own story here. So hopefully it's a good one. Yeah, you, you made the point. These were not huge contracts that you, you gave out, huge long-term contracts you, you brought back. Crawford for a couple more years. Uh, Belt was on the qualifying offer. You know, not saying that these were indiscriminate spending to to, to keep the older guys. Um, my point at the time was okay. So just make sure that this money does not hinder anything else. Was that in the plans all along? And like, there's this flexibility that we've talked about for a while. Is this almost like you never want to say you have to go out and spend? And that's one thing I appreciate it about you. Right? And I say right. you can't just say okay, we're spending eighty million dollars this year. Because you often make mistakes like that, but is there an increased urgency to say this must change the, the dynamic of this roster must be changed? Yeah, I think what we've seen this year and and some of the frustrations. I mean, we definitely this off season are going to be looking to get a little younger, a little bit more athletic, and you know, I I shouldn't use the um, you know 
term younger, especially at risk of, of being accused of being ageist. But um, I, I think it's more, you know, a healthier group, um, really, because age um, is only relevant in, in as far as it's impacting your health and or performance. And a lot of times the performance is uh, really directly related to your health. So I think just having a healthier group that's firing on all cylinders is going to be a priority for us. And uh, that was definitely an area that we felt we had some exposure this year. And, and it certainly hurt us. And that's part of why we've taken a pretty significant step back in terms of our record. You referenced a member of that press, your introductory press conference in 18, where you did say, like, there's going to be some ability to spend here when these contracts come off. Uh, there's a lot of them and they're coming off and they're almost all off now. Um, is it, you know, do you have these, like, I'm just going to just make, just ask you the question, can this franchise spend, you know, with anybody, not, maybe not with the Yankees and Dodgers, but maybe at some point, can you spend with the big boys going into this off season? Yeah. I, I think when we look at specific targets, um, you know, look, we, we go through a budgeting exercise like every team does, like every business does. Um, but ownership has made clear there's a lot of flexibility with that. And um, when we have had interest in doing something, whether it's player related or frankly, whether it's infrastructure related, you know, building uh, the new minor league facility in Arizona um, or things like that, our, our ownership has definitely shown the willingness and enthusiasm to step up and invest in the organization. So, um, so we have that ability. And, you know, I would just say, the, you know, uh, the best solution for any organization isn't isn't always going to be the most expensive solution. And, you know, you referenced, uh, you know, uh, Craw and Belt and this past offseason, bring those guys back was was definitely the best move for us. I mean, Belt was one of the best offensive performers in 2020 and 2021. And we really wanted him back as part of the team this year. And uh, Craw was a top three MVP performer last year, and these guys were leaders in the clubhouse. They were tremendous performers, and so, you know, could we have spent more at first base and shortstop last offseason coming into this year? Sure, but I don't think those would have been the right decisions. So um, there is that ability, but you know, we're always going to balance it with what's the right baseball solution for us. And uh, again, those uh, those things don't always. Uh, correlate, you know, exactly. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I'll just ask you this directly too. Uh, the, the payroll did take a dip from last season to this season for several different reasons. Um, was that specifically your call or was it that in any way ownership directed that you had to get under a number? Again, it, it, it's, it, it's not sort of a hard number, but we are given ranges. I mean, we know, you know, we go through the finances of the operation and um, you know, and, uh, you know, come up with a payroll number or raise that makes sense. And, and, and then at some point we're just kind of going case by case when we want to make late additions to it. So, um, you know, look, it's not sort of a blank check consequence free environment as far as the payroll goes, but it's also not, you can't go over X, uh, no matter what. So, uh, you know, that, that may not be a wholly satisfying answer, but that's the reality. I mean, we have economic um, constraints like any business, but, uh, you know, we, we have flexibility built in and, and we have an ownership group that's showed it's willing to 
push chips in uh, when a compelling case is made. So that continues to be our responsibility when we think it makes sense to extend to present that case to ownership. This team has been a top 10 payroll team often, uh, was last season, is not this season. You you could see it being a top 10 payroll team again in the near future? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, and and, and, (laughs) certainly we don't have a payroll number and we don't have a ranking target. As far as where <laughs> we, we got get, to get to seven. You know, got to get so, to seven. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I certainly could see us moving in again. We're not. We're not going to go to the off season saying, uh, "Let's get back into the top 10. But um, you know, we could certainly have some targets that work out that push us back into that area. Have you looked just kind of systemically at the farm system? I guess that's the word. Um, what happened there? I know you mentioned, you know, you still like your prospects and many of them did not have great, have not had great seasons or have been hurt. It's a lot of them all at the same time. Uh, I know there have been prospects. There are, Kyle Harrison's had a very good year. There are other players. I don't want to throw everybody here, but there have been some right. stalls. Patrick Bailey, Hunter Bishop, there's there's a few others. Like, is there something that went wrong? Do you have to really, is it going back to the pandemic year? Can, can you put your finger on this? And do you have to make some changes there? Yeah, I have, you know, kind of conversations with, with other people in baseball, other um, uh, front office people with other organizations. And there's definitely a feeling that, the pandemic year and losing a minor league season has, has created some uneven development path. Now, to your point, there's still plenty of success stories in the minor leagues. And, you know, to the extent that we feel or, or there's a collective feel that we have, um, we don't have enough of those success stories. Yeah, that's, that's something we, we should assess. But, um, you know, overall, we feel good about the total total talent stock. We've had some guys have really good seasons um, and really advance. And, you know, you take a guy like Luciano who missed a big chunk of the season and is back, and we're really excited about him. You have a guy like Luis Matos whose, you know, stat line is a little bit mysterious because, you know, people go in there and a lot of people still like the way the swing looks and feel like he's going to be a really productive player on his way up. and even from an analytical standpoint, when we kind of look under the hood, so to speak, at his exit velocities and the quality of his contact, it's all really good. So I think it's a mix of things as, as it always is. We still feel good about the overall talent stock. You know, Kyle Haynes and our player development group, um, you know, do a terrific job. And, um, you know, I, I think the big challenge for us, and we talked about this some on the day of the deadline, is uh, you know, our best prospects are still, you know, other than maybe Kyle Harrison and, and Ramos, who's already in AAA, uh, you know, we have a group of guys in, in Eugene who may see uh, AA to end the season, but uh, it, it may not be realistic to count on them to be big factors in 2023. So we may not have that infusion of talent next year. It may be another year away. And so that's going to have to factor into our off-season plan as well. You mentioned this, you know, we're just asking about Soto on deadline day and how and, and other big trades, but that was obviously the huge one. And, and, you know, you're talking to teams, I assume, and they're looking at your prospects and they're not, they're looking at great, not great numbers. And, you know, it's uh, this year, right? They're looking at the stats this year, the production this year. 
did you find yourself having to sell them on it or was it, you know, was that a tricky spot for you to be in to say, no, these guys are good. They're valuable. Is that <laughs> almost the discussion here or whether you have it or, or Scott has it or anybody has that with other teams who tried like you're, you're undervaluing what you're being offered here. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know whether it's um, a matter of, of having a respect for my colleague and peers or that, I just don't have the DNA of a salesman, but um, I, I, I don't really try to get on the phone and convince people of how much they should want our players. I, you know, everybody has their network of information and scouts and people they rely on. And um, I think the people in these jobs are too savvy to take your word over the word of all their own experts. So I didn't really do that. What, you know, uh, in something like, um, you know, the, the Soto conversation, what it resulted in, and I don't want to get, you know, too far down this rabbit hole and certainly not mention specific names, but it, it became, um, a situation where, you know, perhaps we could have done a deal, but we couldn't have just done a, a, a prospect based deal, you know? So now you're talking about trading major leaguers as, as, as part of a deal like that. Um, you know, which ultimately the Padres, traded some guys that had major league experience, but weren't really central to their major league roster. Um, and, you know, I, I imagine if we even had a, a shot, which ultimately, you know, I don't really think we did, but if, but if there was a path to a deal, it probably would have included significant pieces off of our major league roster, which, uh, you know, again, to your point is, uh, it is really a consequence of, of not having a farm system that's really firing on all cylinders with guys putting up the type of stat lines that excite people. And then you're in this kind of robbing Peter to play Paul situation. And, and I'm honestly not sure that that's the best way to make your major league team better. Yeah. That's like, you don't want to turn yourself into the team that was trading the star, right? You know, you know, that, that, that's such an NBA thing, right? You just don't. So, you know, the Pistons may trade everybody for somebody and then you're just turning the Pistons, you know, whatever we've, I, I totally understand that. And, and uh, but I just like I, I know, you know, coming from where you came from, the Dodgers, and they just keep reloading and having these prospects either, you know, produce for them in, in a major way or being able to trade them for Trey Turner, for a Max Scherzer. And they could yeah. do it again if they want to. And, and I imagine it's the, you know, obviously the best situation to possibly be in. You've come from that. You see the Padres trying to do that now. Uh, we keep using the word frustrating. I'm not asking you to say it again, but. I didn't, isn't that where you expected to be at this point, Farhan? I mean, or, or close to that point? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that the Dodgers have uh, done extremely well is, um, you know, uh, create sort of multiple inroads into their talent pipeline. So they've done really well internationally. They've done really well in the draft, despite not always having or or really never having sort <laughs> of high picks in the draft or a lot of cap room. And then I, I think they've been really smart with some of their trades. I mean, you go back and uh, look at the trade they made uh, in the 18-19 offseason, which was a little bit after I left there, actually, when they traded Alex Wood and Yasiel Puig to the Reds and, um, and got Josiah Gray and Jeter Downs, who wound up being you know, prospects who were big parts of the Scherzer-Turner deal. And... Um, uh, and the, and the best deal. So, uh, you know, kind of regenerating, uh, that way, I mean, that's, 
know, in a lot of ways, the type of deal that a rebuilding club makes that, you know, veterans on the last year of their deals, you kind of, uh, uh, you know, make a trade, get young prospects, and then wind up being able to reallocate them. So, um, you know, so they've, they, they've done a better job than, than we have in the last few years in terms of reinforcing their town pipeline. I mean, we still really like our farm system, but, um, you know, major league payroll aside, major league record aside, um, you know, we have to be going toe to toe with them in terms of talent acquisition. And so we do have to get better in that area. How cognizant do you have to be fond of, of butts in the seats, TV ratings, uh, I asked you about getting a superstar, and I understand you can't just snap your finger and say, now we will go get a superstar. Uh, I'm sure you always want to do that. Uh, but, you know, it, superstars do carry teams, right? I mean, you know, when the platoons aren't working or when guys are hurt, sometimes oh. you just say, go go do it. And I know Crawford and Belt were kind of like that last season, but at least for stretches, and, and it hasn't happened that way this season. But uh, is there a, you know, a market charisma, market dynamic uh, that – is in some way you have to listen to about getting people to pay attention to this team in a, in a major way that the way they have paid attention to this team over the years. Yeah, I think so. I think that's totally fair, Tim. And again, I, I think our big point is there are a lot of ways to, or, or maybe not a lot, but there are a few different ways to get those players. When you look at the teams that won titles here in, in 10 and 12 and 14, um, it was really mostly homegrown talent, you know, uh, uh, the Brandons and obviously Buster and and and, and Bumgarner and and Linscombe and Kane and and others. So, um, you know, we certainly hope to have that kind of talent pipeline. But you know, this notion of hey, you know, you want a young fan of yours to be able to go to the team store and buy a jersey and know that you know they can go to the park wearing that jersey for the next several years and feel like that's their guy. Uh, I think there's a lot to that. Now, you know, people aren't going to come to watch a team that isn't competitive. So you have to balance all of that. Um, but uh, I think these things are, are, are all part of creating a compelling product is having a, a good competitive team that's playing important games. And again, having the type of players um, that, uh, you know, young fans and older fans want to go to the team store and buy their Jersey and, um, and, and root them on. And again, I, I, I feel like we do have those players on this team and some of them just haven't had great years, but to your point, you know, that's all part of building a compelling product, which, you know, I acknowledge. And I think anybody working in professional sports has to acknowledge that, you know, you're trying to entertain, you know, this isn't, uh, uh, just about uh, putting a competitive team out there. But again, you know, here we come back to the circular point that, um, you know, at the crux of it is, is being, being a good team, playing important games, because, you know, I don't think there's ever been a really compelling uh, losing team or last place team uh, in, in the history of professional sports. So, uh, it all goes hand in hand. Well, one of those players that could be building. I've been very impressed by Joey Bart in, in the last few weeks, uh, maybe even more than that. Um, what have you seen from him? Where where do you think that's kind of clicked for him? Yeah, I, you know, even just seeing Joey around the clubhouse, um, he just seems you know more comfortable, more assured. And again, it's one of these virtuous cycle things that you play better. You know, you get hot. 
you feel more comfortable and that manifests itself in your play. And it, you know, it kind of continues to feed off uh, each other, both on and off the field. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just think he's gotten to it, to a place of total comfort. And that was one of the things that um, we talked about at the deadline was, um, you know, having Kirk Casale being on rehab, being ready to come back. You know, we had multiple teams interested in him, actually. <laughs> There's no a lack of need for catching around the game. And, uh, you know, Kurt has, was, a, was an awesome giant and wouldn't rule out bringing him back um, and uh, uh, had a lot of big moments for us and was very popular in, in our clubhouse and, and rightfully so. But part of the, and, and by the way, was great mentor and teammate to Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no notion that, hey, we, we need to move this guy for Joey to get more comfortable. But part of the calculus really was kind of making Joey the alpha in terms of the catching um, situation on the team and, and kind of handing him the reins. Um, and, you know, Austin Wins has done a nice job backing him up. But uh, I, I think really for the first time, uh, you know, you talk about 2020 and the COVID year when he came up. Um, earlier this season before we, this is the first time I think he really feels it's sort of his team. You know, he is the catcher on this team. And I think that's, that's definitely helped in addition to, you know, whatever, it's not never that simple, right? <laughs> you can't just tell a guy, Hey, this is your team. And suddenly things turn around. He's putting a lot of work and a lot of people have, done a lot of good work with him but i think that's all come together nicely for him these last few weeks that's very sports writer of you farhan oh you know what it's your team and look at them go and <laughs> uh, you know you were asked that I question you guys love a good narrative i so tell you go. exactly like you were asked that question i, I can be honest that day and i kind of went that's very sports writer like you know you know whatever you, you are <laughs> you play how you play it shouldn't be some other guy who's not even on the roster right now um right but sometimes it does. And yeah. sometimes, you know, it really, or it's coincidental, whatever. But uh, I mean, I look at him now, and when I look at him, I say, okay, that's foundational. Like that's stuff you can right. look into next year and the year beyond. I don't, to be honest, I don't see a lot of that on this roster. I, yeah. I would imagine you don't either. Logan Webb, for sure. Rodon, for, I mean, I'm not Rodon, he's for Asia, but maybe, I'm sorry, Doval. Who yeah. else do you see? Bart? I mean, Lamont Wade, I, I would imagine. Is there a lot of, I, I don't, one thing I'm really not trying to force you to say things that, you know, with 41 games left that, you know, aren't going to sound yeah. great, but what other foundational, maybe I'll just kind of be on the, what, what are the other foundational pieces you feel on this roster? Yeah. I, I think, you know, rather than calling out guys that are foundational and, 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 you know, by their absence, guys that are not, I, I yeah. just talk a little bit about what I think we need uh, which isn't going to surprise people, but, um, you know, I, I think it's important for us to establish, you know, two or three or four or five guys who are, you know, everyday guys who are going to be in the lineup every day. And, um, you know, I, uh, even though we've really kind of matched the roster the same way we did last year, I, I think there's been some frustration with the platoons and, and, and the pinch hitting and, you know, that kind of roster management philosophy works best when you have a foundation of guys that are in there every day. And then, you know, your last few roster spots, you can mix and match and, and really be able to get the most out of players. But it's a little bit, 
like the analogy of, of starting pitching, you know, this notion of, um, you know, having openers or not letting your starting pitchers or limiting your starting pitchers exposure the ter- third time through the lineup. Look, nobody wants that. Everybody wants, yep. you know, the, the 30 start 200 inning guy who works into the seventh or eighth inning every game that makes life a lot easier for everybody. And it's the same on the position player side. When you have guys who are in the lineup every day, you know, when you have five or six roster spots, each of whom you can count on to make 150 starts where you're not having to mix and match and, and find good matchups, that just makes putting the rest of the roster a lot easier. So I think as we look at the roster this offseason, we're going to ask that question, you know, is not just, you know, our because I, I think we have a lot of guys that, you know, we feel like can be part of a good team for us in 2023, but evaluating roles and uh, the amount of exposure I think is, is going to be an equally important question for us. Yeah. I think people might be surprised to hear you say that, but I'm not, I mean, the platoons are part of trying to maximize the talent you've got. Uh, and that's if you don't have, but you had what Crawford and belt and Buster certainly and Yastrzemski last right. season, like those were guys who were going to play every day. Uh, and right. man, you know, Dodgers don't do that with their first four hitters, right? I mean, no right. way. Right. Uh, they probably right. don't do it with their first six hitters. Uh, might switch right. around the order a little bit. And that, that the goal isn't to get to a platoon. It's to make the most of the players who maybe are best in a platoon. But anyway, I, I don't want to mansplain stuff to you, Farhan. But that's like <laughs> people go cra- do go crazy about that. And I understand it. Like it does look funny sometimes when, yeah. it's, not wor- when it's not working. I, my, my, my line is, you know, nothing looks worse than a bad platoon. Like nothing. Uh, <laughs> but... Something right. looks can really look good in a, a great platoon. It can look fantastic too. So uh, I, I, that part I get, and, and um, I'm just this is a long way of me saying that I I'm glad you said that. I think you've always said that, but that was very clear and understandable to me, and I'm sure to the audience. So I'll just ask you. You know, we asked you about Gabe Kapler last year, Manager of the Year. How do you think? Uh, how would you evaluate what he's done this season? Yeah, it's been a different challenge, right? I mean, last year it seemed like um, you know. Uh, things were on cruise control and and every button he pushed, it seemed like someone was coming off the bench and and hitting a big pinch at Homer. And uh, that's just not how the world works. So um, I have really appreciated his consistency. Um, You know, even as uh, you know, we've had our challenges because I mean, look, baseball is a sport about the 162 game grind and, you know, and, and really every sports cliche out there applies more to baseball than almost any other sport. Like you can't get too high or too low. And, um, you know, the moment you try to overcompensate um, in terms of making adjustments, uh, you know, you're, you're probably going to take steps backwards. And this is interesting. I, I've been thinking about this. There's, you know, more coverage of, you know, all sports and, and, and baseball certainly um, no different now than there ever has been before and you know it, it, in a way uh it 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 creates a greater onus on managers or front office to to make moves and make adjustments before they might even make sense i mean you know 20 years ago the guy could go over 15 and nobody would really notice unless they strung together you know four days of newspapers and looked at the box yep. scores and 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 saw like hey this guy hasn't gotten a hit in four or five days and 
And now obviously it's all over social media when someone's struggling like that. So it's a real challenge, you know, for a front office and certainly for a manager to just maintain consistency, you know, in, in what's become a, a much more noisier environment to try to maintain that consistency. And he's done a terrific job. And, and, you know, the fact is that he has our player support. I think the guys in the clubhouse still believe that we can make a run at this. And, and that's a testament to his steady leadership. Well, I appreciate you talking through all these things. I didn't try to be uh, too mean, but I wanted to get over everything. <laughs> and I, again, I, I knew you would, you would have uh, the, the ability to talk about everything. I, 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 that's why you're a frequent guest on the TK show. I do, pre- I, I do appreciate all that. And we will end this with a version of a question I ask all my guests. And I don't know that I've asked you this. I haven't asked this question very often recently. It is the, the, the name brand question I started this podcast with, but the, the uh, pandemic sort of ended that for a while. But bring, we'll bring it back. Farhan Zaidi, what's your favorite restaurant right now? Yeah, I don't really have a new one. I have, you know, we have an old workhorse Burma superstar, which mm-hmm. I wonder if I've actually given that on this uh, yes, you have, podcast. But that's okay. Yeah, yeah, but that's uh, that that's still that's still a staple for us. We're in the East Bay, obviously, there in San Francisco and out here, but uh, you can never go wrong with that. What's your dish there? I think I might have asked you this, but I'm always interested in that one. You know, uh, we've always loved the tea leaf salad. Oh, yeah. I mean, among other things, but. I don't know. We, we we it's it's not always on the menu these days. So I'm, really? I'm getting a little unsettled about that. Yeah, really? if, uh, transition to other salads. Yeah, that's sad to hear. Come on, now, listen. Yeah. Man, so so yeah, everybody who has a chance go out there and let's make sure it's still on the menu. <laughs> I, I mean, oh, well, it's such a good such a good dish that you would think it that really maybe is. it's maybe it's very difficult. I don't know, but man, every time I, I I've been to Burmese like three times, and that's just been the go-to every single time you got to have that so yeah oh, that's I, i'm news. not a salad person so if you get me to eat a salad you're you're doing something right <laughs> is, so. this is a remarkable salad i was like it is a remarkable salad <laughs> so. all right far listen as always i appreciate the conversation thank you for the burma superstar now you got me thinking about this salad and if we save the tea leaf salad man that is that that's an accomplishment let's do that right <laughs> there, now there you, there you go thanks always fun to come on Tim. thanks Farhan. that's the show for today 